Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Arlene Marshall, and we're going to kick off with a statistic that I want you to consider. So according to the Cleveland Clinic, 80% of chronic disease is preventable through lifestyle behaviors. And I want to be very clear up front while we're framing this conversation. I am not assigning blame to anyone for what public health officials would call a lifestyle disease. If you have listened to the episode from last fall with uh, Leona Brandween, you already have heard the phrase social determinants of health. So if you haven't listened to that episode, that's when our environment, our personal histories, what happened when we were growing up, our parents' lives, even our grandparents' lives, that those things have a significant impact on our behavior and health outcomes. But at the same time, that idea, the social determinants of health, hold this tension that we are the only thing that we can control to the best of our abilities. So we're the only ones that could actually make change in our lives, even if our social circumstances predispose us to some real challenges. So it's not about blame, right? It's about stepping into what we can control, the variables in our lives that we have a say about and then taking the strides to make changes in our lives. So with that framing, I wanna start off our episode today asking you to consider, according to 2016 data, which yeah, that's a bit out of date, but it's the most recent data analysis that we have for this this statistic, less than 3% of Americans do the foundational things that would prevent that 80% health outcome. And our guest today has a lot to say about that framing and those ideas. And I'm really excited to have him to share these ideas with you. So as you're listening to this episode, I want you to embrace one of my favorite adages. It's something I've been carrying around a lot lately. It's the idea that who you are is not your fault, but it is your responsibility, right? The social determinants of health create the framing that it's not our fault, but we're the only ones that can actually make the changes in our lives. So my guest today is Julius Thomas. You might know him from his former career as an NFL tight end, but I know him because he's a contributor to NASM's Certified Wellness Coaching course. So he was one of the fellow subject matter experts who worked on that. If you've listened to the show, you know I'm very, very proud of what we did. Um, So he's currently pursuing his doctorate in clinical health psychology. He's also teaching undergraduate neuroscience, which... Super cool. We love our science nerds here on Better Than Fine. And he's recently been elected the vice president for the Society of Neurosports. Julius, welcome to Better Than Fine. Darlene, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on the Better Than Fine podcast because I've been listening uh, to one of your episodes with Jordan all morning. Uh, So yes, I'm happy to be here. I'm looking forward to diving in to talk about people, right? Because that's that's our passion. And, you know, how do we help people get better? So uh, Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. Ah, I love it. I love it. I also love that episode with Jordan. I know you two have recently been put in touch and I'm excited to see the two of you change the world. Uh, I love when our worlds begin to collide, but I want to hear a bit about your world and I want you to share that world with our listeners. So could you share, you've got such a unique path. How do you go from you know playing D1 basketball to being in the NFL and then on to health psychology? And I know you've got some strong personal missions around health psychology. So paint that story for us. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's actually been uh, a tremendous journey. I'm very grateful for all the things that I've been able to experience, all the people I've got to be around. I, I don't know. I just keep following these little feelings that I have inside, and they keep calling me to take on bigger challenges, to keep finding ways to push myself, and eventually um, really was encouraged to get to the field of helping others. So, you know, I like to tell people I was just a regular kid from Stockton, California, you know, walked home, kicking cans, um, probably throwing rocks at things I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> uh, but I really had this desire to be a college athlete. I wanted to go to college. My parents always talked to me about college and um, I really got this passion for playing basketball. Um, and in high school, I just decided that, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can uh, if this is going to help me get to college. And I was successful in that and really grateful to go to Portland State for a lot of reasons, met a lot of ton of great people. Uh, got to play in the NCAA tournament two times, like pinch yourself type experiences. Uh, then leaving there, I went on to the NFL, um, played seven years, a couple of Pro Bowls. Like, you know, some of these really cool things you get to want to do if you're an athlete growing up in the U.S. And um, around my sixth or seventh year, um, really my passion started to change. And I started to have this feeling inside that I was enjoying helping other people reach the things that they were trying to achieve in their life more than I was at trying to add more rewards to my own wall. And it was a very scary feeling to have that because it's like, well, how do you self in this current profession you have and this life you live? And uh, I remembered when I followed that little voice inside that took me from basketball to football and how well that worked out for me. And um, I was going to follow it again and just learn to trust that inner inner intuition. And it took me into um, wanting to know more about people, wanting to know more about how to help people. And that's how I uh, decided to go back to get a doctorate in clinical health psychology. And um, maybe all those years I spent in the training room helped me get into uh, health psych. But I also think that, you know, people said, oh, are you gonna go into sports psych? And I was like, well, I'm in sports my whole life. Let me kind of switch it up. So I jumped into health and I'm very happy I did, I did so because it fit well with, a lot of the neuroscience I was learning at the same time. Yeah, I want to highlight a few things about your story. And thank you. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for framing it for us. But the, the first thing I hear there is calling, right? Like you've had these moments of really resonant alignment in yourself and an awareness that something had shifted for you, but you were willing to listen to it. And I think a lot of people that I've worked with, a lot of people that I've had on the show, uh, you know, there's so many mechanisms we're told to like take, I don't know if safe is the right thing to say when you're talking about playing in the NFL, yeah. but you know, instead of trying for the NBA, right. Going against what you saw quotes here new into something that you were called to. And then again, to pivot away from maybe the traditional paths of someone coming out of the NFL into like, no, you know what? I'm going to go get a PhD in yeah. <laughs> health psychology. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's laudable. And also, um, are you the first in your family to pursue a like college degree? Uh, no, I actually, I'm like one of the fortunate few people from the neighborhood I grew up in. Both my parents have college degrees. Uh, so they, that's why it was so unique. You talked about those social determinants of health and like there's a lot of social determinants of so many things. And for me, it was, you know, my, my home environment, um, having two college educated parents that were like, look, um, we expect you to go to college. My parents always wanted me to be a doctor. Uh, they always wanted me to go to like an Ivy League school. Um, 
that didn't end up being my path in the in the times they saw it. But now it's really cool because um, now I'm going to be a doctor and now I do work with institutions like Harvard. So uh, mom and dad, you know, all those things you told me <laughs> and those car rides, uh, it imprinted on me the right way. Yeah, yeah. Shout out. I mean, I appreciate the the balance, right? We talked last time you and I spoke, we talked about self-concordant goals, right? The self-determination theory for the listener. Um, self-concordant goals are when we listen to that aligned voice and we set goals for ourselves that um, fit who we are, regardless of if we're being told by outside influence to stop. So my own version of it is being the first in my family to finish a four-year degree, but it was in acting and everybody was telling me what a waste it was. But I use those communication skills all the time, hosting the show, coaching my clients, speaking at conferences, right? There's no point in my life that I don't use those skills. I just use them very differently than maybe other people thought I would. Um, so shout out for calling and shout out for parents who want the best for us. They're well-intentioned, right? Yeah. Well, I was wondering, you know, why you were so personable and, and how you just command uh, the camera and the microphone. And I'm like, oh, look at Darlene. She's great. I got to get better. And there it is. Like, you've got all this experience um, pursuing a degree in acting and you didn't tell me this. So like, well, <laughs> now you know, I'm over here feeling like, you know, I'm not, I'm not living up to the standard and you got all the reps. Yeah. Yeah. Just more reps, man. But, and that's, you know, again, like to the listener, if you're seeing or hearing people who are further down the path than you, it's a question of skills and repetition, right? Not like some magical gifts. And also to speak to your story, my own residence of a family that really wanted me to apply to Ivy schools, but I didn't want to be the poor kid at the rich kid school and then ended up at Penn for grad school anyway. So again, just like following that calling and letting the path evolve as your skill sets and awarenesses evolve, uh, which none of which is what we had planned to talk about today, <laughs> but we love rabbit holes here. Um, so you're listening to Better Than Fine. I'm your host, Darlene Marshall. My guest is Julius Thomas, and we're going to talk about health literacy, I swear. Um, but you've, through that journey, through that calling, you've developed a passion. You talked about your evolving passions. And one of those passions is for this concept of health literacy. So could you share with us, what do you mean when you use the phrase health literacy? What's that mean to you? And what do you, like, what do you think we should know about it to start? Yeah, you know, um, when I got to graduate school, I wasn't sure which area I wanted to focus in. And for us in our program, like the first year is very general. And I decided, you know, I'm really interested in health. Like I wanted to know how the, the body worked and how the brain and mind, how this thing all comes together. And then I was reading this research article as I was preparing um, to do some type of review for a course I was in. And I stumbled across an article that said 80 to 90% of chronic disease and illness could be prevented if we just followed healthy lifestyle behaviors. And this struck me. This is one of those moments um, where something hits you and it resonates with you so mm. deep at your core. You know that uh, this has your attention for a reason. And I always make this joke uh, when I say, you know, clinicians, unfortunately, they'd be the worst goalies. Because <laughs> in science, we don't anticipate. We, we have an illness approach. So we wait for goals to be scored. And we're like, oh, that was a goal. Top left corner. Let me go run, get the ball out the net. But for an athlete, I was like, well, this is unacceptable. Why would I ever wait to get unhealthy? Like athletes, we spend our entire lives doing everything we can, every waking moment to stay as healthy as possible because we know how that is going to affect us. And I wanted 
to do that for others. And I couldn't understand why we didn't talk about prevention in my program, why we don't talk about and focus on helping people understand how you can prevent illness and disease. And then that's where health literacy comes in. Health literacy is just like reading literacy. It's just knowledge of what are the healthy things that I can be doing and how will those affect me or in my way of looking at it, how will they help you not get certain things? And then the other thing is, um, you know, what are the, the risks of not doing certain things, right? You need to know the health-related benefits and you need to know the health-related risks. And then the last part of um, health literacy, which I, I kind of break up, but it's grouped together as a, as a construct in literature, is uh, self-efficacy, mm-hmm. which we know is the hardest thing, like as coaches, right? Like we, we work with people, but we know it's hard for people to believe that they have what it takes to have a meaningful difference on their health and well-being, but we know it's possible and, and we study that stuff. And so that's what we love to help people do. Yeah. Yeah. I dig it. I, I call that moment of insight that you're describing a bell ringer, yep. right? Where you, where something just hits you different than all the other things. And you know, like, not only is this deeply true in like a visceral somatic, I know this in my being, but I also know I have to do something with it. So you have this big bell ringer on health, health literacy um, for the benefit of the listener. And I, 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 I'm going to caveat this by saying, I know I'm asking you like a difficult question. Yep. How do you describe self-efficacy to someone who doesn't know what it is? That's actually great. I, I was actually explaining this to someone this weekend. So I'm glad you asked me that question. Um, and I, I'm an applied person, right? So sometimes I I don't always communicate it the way it's communicated, like in the literature. <laughs> don't I want worry, to we're not judging it. you. Yeah, I want to communicate <laughs> it in a way that people it makes sense to people. Uh, so I describe self-efficacy as: Do you believe you can do it? Like, do you have self-efficacy that you can start a new job? Do you have self-efficacy that you can change careers? Do you have self-efficacy that you can be a good parent? You know, on and on and on. Do you believe you can do it? And this concept of self-efficacy, it, it grows as we challenge ourselves and we overcome things, which is why I love coaching, right? Because every time I help a person over a challenge, they get to the other side of that wall, that pit, that whatever, you know, we can create a metaphor for any kind of way to use a Spartan race obstacle to help people see <laughs> life. But what's the feeling when you get over an obstacle? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you get this boost of all these great hormones, but you also change the way you think about yourself. Now you know, wait, I can do tough things. Like, I wait, I can start believing in myself. And for me, that's self-efficacy. Do you believe you can do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the the schema shift of yourself in that picture of what's possible, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I dig it. And I think that's such an important thing when we're talking about that duality between social determinant and to quote, I saw Hamilton last week. So my favorite line in Hamilton, I am the one thing in life I can control, right? It's yeah. not my fault, but it's my responsibility. And yeah. part of, to me, the success equation when we're talking about these things is exactly what you just said. Like learning as a human that you can affect that positive change, that it is possible because without believing it's possible, you're not going to do any of the things to make it actually true in your life. And then the self-fulfilling prophecy, like... Good. Well put, my friend. <laughs> I'm glad you like that one. Absolutely. So if I if I recall our conversation correctly, and of course I've read, you know, in prepping for this episode, and I went out and read a couple different models of like, okay, what are the behaviors? What are the categories? 
what are the things when we're talking about health literacy, we're talking about a whole health approach, what are the variables that actually create that, that platform in our lives that we can take responsibility and ownership for? Yeah. And it's, uh, it's surprisingly simple. So I tell people all the time, it is so simple. It's so, so simple, but it's very challenging. So I had a football coach. Yeah. I had a a football coach and once told me, Julius, let me tell you about this game of football. It's a simple game, but it's not easy. And I hear that voice over and over when I think about health, because when we look at health, um, healthy lifestyle behaviors, I always think about how's the easiest way to teach it, not the most appropriate way that like some researcher or scientist couldn't pick it apart. But for me, I always say, you know, if you're teaching somebody on something that's more than five fingers, good luck helping them remember this. So I I usually break it down into these five categories. And I think that probably anybody interested in wellness and health agrees. It's really important to be sleeping right, eating right, exercising right, finding ways to, to decrease your stress and support yourself through the emotional, stressful challenges that happen in life. And then the last one is um, managing your substance use, right? Like if you can do those five things, if you can get the right amount of sleep, have a nutritious diet, get the right amount of physical activity, keep your stress level low and um, use substances appropriately, you're on your way. Like you, and it's really not super difficult to do it. Um, but the learning part takes time, right? Because like health literacy, no one taught us the health. Like I, I tell people all the time, like I came from a middle to low SCS community. Whoever taught me what eating right was, sleeping right, exercising right. Like I was the, I'm an example of what a processed food kid grows up to become. Like Mm -hmm. everything I ate was in a wrapper all for 15 years of my life. They had no clue that this was going to put me at risk for um, health conditions that I probably wouldn't want later in life. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm of two minds on the subject, right? Like being in the bubble of the fitness industry for over a decade, working in um, a luxury gym in lower Manhattan. Like obviously I was being exposed to the people who are already stepping into that information. So on the one hand, I'll tell myself like, Oh, like people know this stuff. But on the other hand, like you're describing, you wait, you're in a social context, that bubble effect, and maybe don't really know, because of course, if everybody knew this stuff and it was easy, there would be no fitness industry. There would be no wellness industry. They wouldn't need us. Yep. 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 It's so really when we start talking about the social determinants of health, right? It's easy for a person to feel like, wow, I, I let myself down. I'm not doing mm. something I should have done. And I think you spoke very eloquently to that in the beginning of like, this is not a time to place blame or shame. If there's any blame or shame to be placed, I believe it's on the health professionals. Like one of those social oh, determinants of health great. are how complex is our medical system? How complex is the mind, body, and brain and the integration between the three? How complex is it to read research papers, right? Like that's on us. As a health professional, I think about how much I'm letting people down, how my colleagues are letting people down. When we know the reasons people aren't engaging in health-related behaviors, or there are three simple things. They don't know which behaviors are going to move them towards better health, or they don't know which behaviors are moving them towards worse health. That's knowledge. Then the second piece is efficacy, or maybe they do know 
but they're just not, they don't believe that they can do it. So either way, either as a, a health professional, either we didn't educate correctly or we did it in ways in which it like goes way over the head mm -hmm. of the everyday average person, like, you know, writing something in a research journal that only 1% of the world was trained to read. Yeah. Uh, how are we missing? Uh, maybe that, maybe we're not communicating it well. But the other thing is maybe that people don't believe they can make those changes. So it's one of the two, it's either education or instilling belief. And, you know, for us, like those are both of the things that we love doing. And, but it's hard to find that try, right? When we first talked, I was like, darling, you're speaking my language. How, where <laughs> are you? Where have you been? I, I needed you to show up in my life. Pull up, pull up on me. Pull um, up. You're here right now, my friend. Exactly. But it's so hard. I want to add two wrinkles to what you just said um, from my side of the fence where the wrinkle of how manipulative is the fitness and wellness space in perpetuating the idea that, okay, everything else you think you know is wrong, which is why you need to buy my program. And the codependency that the fitness and wellness industry is uh, incentivized to create because then you'll keep coming back to the well because you need to buy another package, you need to buy another program. And so I think everything that you've said about the health space, I buy, right? Like that it's over people's head, it's watered down, it's overly complex um, because of the way that we, like that whole healthcare dysfunction that we all know is there. And the fitness and wellness space are not doing anybody any favors if we continue to perpetuate this idea that like, oh, the next big diet fad is out. And that's why all the other diet fads were wrong. So you should do my fad diet because that's how I'm going to sell books and get you on the hook. And what I find with, depending on the age group of my client, I can tell you what their maladaptive like nutritional belief or exercise belief is based off of what decades fads they were sold in the prime of their adulthood. That's actually a good point. And you have far more experience than I do in the fitness training wellness space. Like, right, I've been stuck in like clinical places on little squares. Not and stuck. You just walk in your path, man. <laughs> okay. Well, I, you know, I use stuck because I don't get much uh, flexibility. But what I mean is um, you get this insight because you've seen how we monetize health. And you don't make much money if you say, no, just just the simple things work, right? It's like, no, you make much more money if you say, hey, I have this brand new thing. I have this brand new thing that's going to help you um, lower your body fat, or this is going to help you gain more muscle, right? And, and all the other things were wrong and bad. But we know that that's not true at all. And like when I talk to people about like whole health, which is my way of trying to create uh, education in a way that's makes sense for your average everyday person, somebody that doesn't have a bachelor's degree or somebody that doesn't have a graduate degree, which we know is most of our population, especially our at-risk population. Um, how do we break it down in these simple ways that people can understand it? Because there's a lot of different ways to create um, healthy eating that may work better for some people versus others. There's a lot of healthy ways to create the right amount of physical activity. Like you and I had a whole discussion on how you do physical activity different than I do and our reasons why. Um, stress, right? Reducing stress can be done in, I, I can't even describe how many different ways <laughs> a person can yet. to reduce their stress, but it's not for me to tell them they have to find a way. It's for me to help them create their way based mm -hmm. on who they are, based on uh, their culture, 
the things they like, uh, but that takes, that takes time. That takes energy. But when people start to understand, I need to be whole healthy mentally, physically, and emotionally, and they start to pursue that, that's when you start to get these upward spirals. I don't know. Was I supposed to say that? But you, you, you can got, say it, man. You know that that's my jam. Spirals locked into my head now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I know the last time you and I spoke, we talked about like some of the most uh, effective triggers for upward spiral dynamics, right? For someone. So, so for listeners who haven't listened to any of the upward spirals episodes, um, it's when you've got multiple positive uh, variables in your life that create positive compounding effects into your well-being. And some of the most effective uh, upward spiral primers are physical, right? It's 20 minutes of moderate intensity cardio makes you more sensitive to your own serotonin. Like there's a lot of ways that you can, like you're saying, mitigate and manage stress. So you're listening to the Better Than Fine podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Marshall. My guest is Julius Thomas. We're talking about health literacy and a whole health approach. And since you brought up whole health, so you mentioned mental, physical, and emotional. Of course, I immediately hear our baby, um, certified wellness coach. But you take that, I think, a little further in your practice, right? Because you're coming at it from the health psychology lens. Can you speak a little bit more to this idea of a whole health approach to someone's health literacy, to their well-being, and what that looks like when you're working with someone? Yeah, you know, I, I think the best person, uh, best case study is to talk about myself. Um, and I really came to this realization when I looked in the mirror one day and I said, okay, here you are. You have this personal standard of I, I want to be the best I can be as often as possible. But then you started asking yourself, okay, well, if emotions are a key component to life um, and what's happening in your mind is another key component to life, as well as what's happening to you physically or, or your physical behaviors, uh, if you think about it like a bucket, how much energy and effort have you poured into each one of those buckets uh, specifically, right? So for me, I thought, wow, I've poured so much energy and effort into this physical health bucket. I've trained. I have had somebody telling me the kind of foods that I should eat. I've had, I mean, all of it, like really like the, probably the peak of what you can get from um, physical behaviors. But Professional then, athlete. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then the mental side, I was like, Ooh, I don't know how much like, I'm going to be honest with myself. I don't really know how much time and energy I've spent. Uh, pouring into my mental health and my mental well-being, that bucket. But then the emotional bucket was even worse. I mean, that thing, I don't even call it a bucket. It was like a, a solo cup. It had like <laughs> two or three drops of food. In it. But like, I started to realize this disparity, right? You've got physical health for me. Then I've got my mental health. Then I've got my emotional health way down here. And when you get some kind of education and what makes human beings flourish or very well, you start to realize that all three of those buckets are critical because if you're having emotional problems, um, mental problems are around the corner and physical problems are around that next corner. If you're not building and sustaining the right physical habits, wow, like, well, I feel like I'm dragging my mind around. I'm really struggling mentally or emotionally. And then, so they all go together. So if you have one and you don't have the other two or you have two and you don't have one, you're going to find it really hard to be at your peak, you're thriving your best. And once I had to understand what I wasn't doing in my own life and get the dissonance and allow it to be there and say, okay, well, then how do I fill these buckets? It came with time and effort. And then I started learning that if I was that way, how many other people were this way? Yeah. 
Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like it's a vulnerable thing for, you know, how many, how many NFL players are on the mic talking about their feelings. And as somebody who came through the fitness industry and had, you know, kind of the boilerplate things that I was taught to use as tools as a personal trainer and how, how many times I can point to in over a decade of doing that, where the conventional wisdom on what was right for someone's body was then having them have a disordered eating relapse, or they were having some kind of mental health moment um, because maybe work got really stressful or home was really stressful, but, oh, this is what's in the program today and I'm being paid to execute this program. So I've got to lean into it. And part of what drew me into positive psychology and into wellness coaching specifically is the recognition that if something is soft code is here, good for my physical health, but it's damaging to my emotional and mental health, it is not a positive intervention. It is to that person's detriment because it is causing other issues in other systems. And those systems are artificial anyway, right? Like we're all one integrated being, each of us. Yeah, exactly. And and it, it really points out to what I was discussing earlier is when you just focus on one, right? Like, yeah. I am never going to stand in front of any audience of people come on any podcast and ever talk poorly about the benefits of physical activity. Physical activity and sleep may be the two most important behaviors that any human can do. I'll say it again because I think it's that it's that powerful. Sleep and physical activity may be the most important behaviors a person can do. But if you only focus on the physical, there can be mental and there can be emotional Um, stimuli, events that are impairing a person's ability to have quality of life and life satisfaction. And as we start to um, get this message out and we start to get people to really understand for themselves, like, wait, I have to address each of these three buckets. If I want to show up my best as a manager, an employee, a mother, a father, a child, or a friend, like that, I tell people all the time, what's the real benefit in developing a whole health approach to life, you get to show up as your best more consistently than you ever imagined you would, because now you're learning that you've got these three buckets and you can easily visualize in your own mind, like, oh, how much have I put into each one and how much have I not? And if there's one that you haven't, now you have to start figuring out what you can do. You start finding resources, you start joining groups, you start getting training, coaching, and on and on. And those efforts create uh, mental, emotional, or physical equity in those buckets. Mm. And you get to stand in that equity. And it's really going to improve who you are as a person. And it's going to reduce, like right back to the biggest problem is this chronic disease and chronic disease burden. And, and just that whole literature base is, it's disheartening for me to read it. Like the costs of healthcare, the symptomatology and the loss of enjoyment, function, um, identity, purpose for people that have chronic health conditions. It's, it's so sad to see. I mean, I worked in a hospital for an entire year and you talk to enough people that have had diabetes and they're getting amputations. Yeah. It breaks your heart. Right. And I talked to the guy and he goes, yeah, I didn't, I didn't take diabetes serious. I didn't understand what diabetes was. You know, when I got diagnosed with diabetes. I didn't get it. Or the 50-year-old guy that's a lawn care um, gardener. 
and he had a stroke. And then we're sitting down and he goes, I don't know what a stroke is. I don't know how, what my risks were for a stroke. I don't know anything. And I'm sitting down with a wellness packet and I'm teaching him about health literacy. And then I recognize that more and more people are going to find their way to a hospital and they're going to be forced to process and go through a dramatic life change or circumstance, all because we didn't educate people the way we could have, right? And, and that's that prevention piece that I'm determined to get out there. Like it, I, when I leave this earth, they're going to know that I tried. Yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. Thank you for sharing. So I, I, first off, thank you for just sharing your passion. But I think to take it even one step further, I know we've got a lot of new coaches, aspiring coaches who listen to this show and what I want to ask on their behalf is how has it felt for you having this genuine desire to help other people gain in health literacy? And here's a prime example of you with this man who had a stroke in that moment, actualizing on your purpose. What did that feel like for you? Well, you know, I think that's a, that's a great question. And thank you for asking me that because, um, as a, as a psychologist in training, right, we were taught to process our own feelings at the same time while we're trying to help people through something, because it's important you have to regulate what you feel inside of you. So the first thing is for me, I'm the kind of compassionate person that sees myself in everyone. So I'm standing across from somebody looking at him in his eyes and thinking, damn, like that could be me in this position. Like if I didn't decide to go get a doctorate, in clinical health psychology and sit through course hour after course hour after course hour, I would have never known that high blood pressure was correlated to stroke. It seems like a, such a simple thing for a person with a graduate degree, but I would have had no clue before this point in time. So the first thing you have to, to regulate is this feeling of, wow, this, this is tough that this person is going through this. But then the second thing is how good it feels to empower a person through education. When he gets to sit in that room with me and nod and go, oh, so this, that high blood pressure was something, huh? Well, I never took my high blood pressure medicine. Then we get to sit down and talk about why not taking your high blood pressure medicine can become a problem and how, um, how we're able to control blood pressure with medication and healthy lifestyle behaviors. Or when we, him and I start talking about his diet, right? And so now I've got these feelings of, uh, these endorphins flowing through me, right? Like I'm happy. I'm excited. I'm watching him in the moment gain health literacy. He's becoming knowledgeable about his health behaviors that can positively prevent illness and disease. And he's also becoming aware of the health risks. But then we've got that self-efficacy part, right? Because then now you have to be very attuned. And I think that's what coaches are great at. It, it doesn't matter if you learn how to play basketball or football or you're teaching somebody health and wellness. You have to identify the person you're sitting across from and see where their belief is. If his belief isn't, isn't there and he doesn't think that he's going to be able to go home and apply these things, then I need to stop the education piece. And I need to check in with them. I need to say, you know, what are you going to be doing when you go home to help with this? And he tells me, he goes, you know what? I got to stop stopping by the convenience store in the morning before I go out with the boys to go take care of lawns. Every morning, man, I go in there, I get an Arizona iced tea and a honey bun and, and I go off to work. So what are some other things that we can get at that convenience store or nearby stores? 
that you can eat that are going to be able to help with, you know, some of the other chronic illnesses that I see on your chart. Right. And then you start sitting with him and start making him believe that he has the capacity within his resources and in his conditions, set of conditions to make change. that's going to help him because, you know, ultimately for him, he's just like, I don't want no more strokes. I don't want no more strokes because I can't work when I have a stroke. I don't want no more strokes because I'm scared. I'm scared that this this was almost my last time walking. You saw me. We've been here for two weeks. It took me two weeks to get language back. Right. Like now he's got motivation. And you use that to increase that efficacy to provide the education. And now you get to have this meaningful, amazing experience of saying, man, maybe I maybe I changed his life and helped him and his family. Yeah, I was, I'm so glad you ended with his family. I was like, not just his. And thank you for the recounting of that. I'm so appreciative for you to take us through that full exchange because I think so often our healthcare professionals, they get like, what is it? Like seven minute average yeah. time for like a visit at the doctor, right? They're getting less than 10 minutes and they're going, okay, your blood work came back. Um, your A1C is now over the diabetic line. You're diabetic. I think you should go on metformin or your high blood pressure. Here's your pills. And it's not for not wanting to help. Like I know I have a, a wonderful primary care physician who would love to spend 40 minutes with every patient, but she's in a system. She can't escape just like somebody's social determinants of health. It's her social determinants of her, her role. And I think what you've illustrated that I really want to highlight is that for anyone in a fitness or wellness capacity, any positive psychology practitioner listening, anyone who has an awareness of how these mechanisms actually work, have an opportunity whenever you are working with a client who the blinking dashboard lights of elevated A1C or blood pressure or whatever variable come up to bother to ask if they understand. Because then you have the opportunity, like you're saying, to increase someone's health literacy. And I can't tell you the number of times that I have explained to a client the mechanisms of their elevated A1C. What is blood pressure actually doing? Um, why does it matter uh, hormonally? And what does that look like? There's yeah. what a stroke actually is, like what a heart attack actually is, because yep. most people don't understand what to us we take for granted, because we're the kind of nerds that would bother to learn it. Yeah. They're nerds about something else. Yep. And we have this incredibly powerful moment to really change someone's life when you bother to ask, what do you already know about this? Let me let me help you if there are gaps. Yeah, 100%. And that that's within our scope. And not only is it within our scope, who else is going to do it? Yeah. Like, let's let's be let's be honest. Like I spend all day in a clinical space. And the clinical space is defense. They, they, we all play defense. I wait for a person to call the clinic. They, they answer the phone or somebody directs me to them. However, then they sit down in front of me and I do a diagnosis and then I provide that. And then I let them know the next steps. That's defense. Mm. We want to increase health and well-being. We got to have a health, wellness and prevention army. We Amen. need then we need as clinicians, right? We know that there's always going to be a shortage of clinicians. There's a shortage of psychiatrists. There's a shortage of psychologists. Ask the people in your life that have tried to seek some. And if there's not a shortage, there's an economic piece, right? Like the person that went to school for six years to get a doctorate in psychology, they might charge $200 a session, might not be affordable for a lot of people, right? So 
We need this health, wellness, and prevention army. We need people to go on the offensive because before it becomes clinical, it's absolutely within the scope. Like that was one of the most important things that um, my co-author and I, we wrote into the chapter is that before it becomes a clinical problem, there's so much space. I mean, this is the best a person can be healthy. Way over here is when it's like clinically disordered. This whole space is the opportunity and it's opportunity for your, your wellness coaches, your trainers to get trained and understand the things they can do so that they never send their clientele over to the doctor's office. Not that you, everybody should go, you know, once a year. Yeah, get checked. But we should have a goal, an outcome of decreasing chronic disease and illness. I mean, cardiovascular disease, strokes, diabetes, lung disease, cancer, anxiety, depression. Like that's like the big seven. What if we cut those in half? What if, what if us health professionals, us people that want to go on the offense, that want to be about team prevention, say, what if we can cut that in half? You know how many trillions of dollars that saves? You know how many trillions of tears that prevents? Oh, yeah. I'm not thinking about dollars. I'm thinking about how many people get to live their purpose, how many people get to see their kid graduate, how many people, you know, get to be a hundred. My, my personal goal for this, just so you know, uh, I want to be over a hundred still dancing at weddings. Uh, I like that one. I like that like, one. I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and I want to be uh, a hypermobility spectrum disorder. I'm going to be 103 dancing at weddings. I love that. Hold me to it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to hold you to it. I mean, me, the way my knees are set up right now, I'm going to need like the the knee replacements that they're going to have in like 30 years. The ones with yeah. the hydraulic pumps where my knees going to like spin around in a circle. I can jump again. It's coming. It be that much cooler, Julie. Yeah, yeah. I, I am going to be half bionic one day, but it's okay because, you know, we're getting there. But yeah, I mean, I can't tell people enough that team prevention, we need people to come try out and be part of the team. Yeah, be in our wellness army. <laughs> it's within your scope, absolutely, to get training, to get certified in something like CWC, um, because the effort and the... Um, the professional acumen that went into that was elite. Like every single body gave their best to help. Um, maybe this is the wrong way to say it, but this is just the way I say it. Put weapons or tools in people's hands to go fight this illness problem that we have by focusing on wellness instead of illness. Like, yeah, we can fight illness by focusing on illness, but that's defense. We can fight illness by focusing on wellness and that's offense. And that's going to require more people than we can ever have on defense. I dig it. I dig it. I always say um, being healthy is not a moral imperative, but you're going to be able to actualize on everything you want to do far more effectively if we take an additive positive approach. Right? Yeah. Cool. Um, it's all in how we frame it. But if you dig it, everybody, you're invited to be in our wellness army. You heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> Julius, if people are in, interested in, in uh, following our, our exploits as the wellness army, where can they find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Instagram, just Julius underscore Thomas. Um, LinkedIn, just Julius Thomas. Uh, you'll find me and I'll pop up. And really, that's one of the things that I'm very committed to doing is providing education. And I do that mainly through talking about... Um, what I call whole health, which is just going to be breaking down health information. You know, I'm literally following like the absolute basics. I'm talking about the stuff from the NIH, the stuff from the CDC, the stuff from the AHA, the AMA, the ACLM, like they're putting out 
documents and documents and documents every year to give people the information they need to be healthy. The problem is they put it in these documents that are like 90 pages and most people are never going to read that. So I'm trying to find ways to disseminate information at scale in a usable approach that people can focus on to start becoming more well, because I know what happens on the other end. And I know how many people I've sat in front of and I've tried to help them once that disease and illness has really um, took hold of a person and the, the, the pain and suffering they have and the transference of that pain and suffering within me, because I'm, I'm an open hearted therapist, coach, uh, person of care. It's, it's very difficult with, to deal with. Like how many times I've had to look a family member in the face and say, you know, your, your loved one's never going to get this ability back. Uh, it's gone now. Or your loved one, um, that, that, that limb is lost because, you know, you didn't understand, you know, what diabetes does and, and how to properly adhere to medication. And for all these reasons, whether it's just depression, right? A person that's had two or three episodes of depression, how hard it is to get a person to enjoy and, and feel the, the happiness of life once they've had a couple bouts of depression, it gets challenging. So if we don't get ahead of it, we create more work for ourselves and more suffering. And I'm going to do everything I can to help people have the information that's evidence-based and uh, also applicable. I dig it. I mean, it's good to have another uh, friend of the pod, another person on a like-minded mission. Um, thank you for sharing that wisdom. That ew, Let's try that word again. Thank you for sharing that mission and your wisdom, because I had that thought at the same time <laughs> with us. Um, and we really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the show. No, thank you for having me. Like, I am honestly stoked that we got a chance to meet. I, I told you the other day, like, I'm going to keep learning from you. I think that your mission is amazing. And I know that we're going to continue to do so many things in the future because you see the same things I see and you have the same passion to make change. Um, and so your story is inspiring. And like, you got me fired up. Like last yeah. week, I was fired up. I uh, dig it. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I really do yeah. appreciate it. Um, and while we didn't set up this episode to sound like one big ad for a uh, certified wellness coach, um, if you are feeling similarly inspired, uh, but you're looking to get qualified to join the wellness army that we've just decided to start, um, the Prevention Army is a great place for you and you are very welcome to be in it with us. Um, the National Academy of Sports Medicine, uh, this is on the NASM podcasting platform. Well, NASM has a wellness coaching certification that was built by experts, experts like Julius and I, uh, along with other experts in sleep and coaching, neuroscience movement, positive psychology. And I'm particularly proud of that course. And if you want to take that course and learn how to make sustainable positive change with your clients, instead of, you know, just telling people what to do, which we definitely know is not effective. Well, that certification is currently 50% off on NASM's website and listeners of this show can get an additional $600 off stacking on top of that discount with this code. It's Marshall CWC, M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L-C-W-C. So you'll go to the NASM.org website, you'll click wellness at the top, and then be sure however you check out, whether through the website or on the phone with somebody that you use that code to get the additional $600 off. And of course, 
I would love to hear your feedback, your thoughts, anything that you want to share in response to this episode. So how could you do that? Well, you could email me. It's info at darlene.coach. You can find me on Instagram. That's also darlene.coach. Or you could go to LinkedIn. I'm easily findable there. I also want to show, shout out that if you are looking for some free foundational resources on your own holistic health, you could find those resources at coachdar.substack.com. That's the More Better Substack, where we take any information we share on the show, we've put it into easily referenceable uh, Substack. There you go. Blog. <laughs> um, if you're a fan of the show, I hope that you've subscribed. Of course, thank you to anybody who's giving us a review because we're always trying to game that algorithm. And if you share about the show, please do tag me. I absolutely love hearing from you. Thank you all very much for listening. Be well. <laughs>